It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome both new and existing listeners and subscribers to the money-guy.com podcast. I tell you, if this is your first time listening to our podcast, I'd like to welcome you and tell you you have chosen wisely this time. Um, we are going to really have a great show for you today. We're going deeper into the world of investing and giving you um, tips and tricks to let you know how to invest like a professional. Now, um, before I go into a little bit more of what we're doing, and I want to talk about last show that we did. I went back and listened to our show, and I got to tell you, I, I felt like I was sounding down, even though I was um, on Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, and I was playing golf at the end of that that podcast. For some reason, I felt like I sounded down, and the only thing I can think that is caused by is I'm going through this life event right now. Let me tell you what's going on, is that I am going on a big trip with a ton of couples at the beginning of June. And I've known about this trip for the last probably nine to ten months. And part of this knowing about the trip is me worrying about how I'm going to look at the beach in front of all my friends. Because let's face it, I am a CPA. I take my shirt off at the pool or the beach, and I look like I still have a T-shirt on. So I've got that going against me because I don't see much sunlight. And then the fact that um, I've got a table muscle or love handle or spare tire, whatever you want to call it, I have not been too pleased with myself. So one of the things I've decided to combat all this um, is I've joined this neighborhood boot camp. And maybe you, maybe this is nationwide or worldwide they do these things, but the way this works in my neighborhood is that you have to get up at 5.30 in the morning and run like three miles. You do all these push-ups and sit-ups, and that's all fine and good. But the problem is, is that first part that I said, it's the 5.30 in the morning. I am not the type of individual that typically gets up at 5.30 in the morning. And I also am not the type of person that goes to bed at 7 or 8 o'clock at night, which is what time you'd need to go to bed to get the full night's sleep. So you can see how I've probably um, struck myself with a little sleep, um, lack of sleep there, or, or deprived myself of it. So I, what I've done to counter that this time, I've got a solution. And this is also a great sponsorship opportunity, so listen up, Red Bull. I decided, I went out to um, the local grocery store last night, bought the four-pack of the sugar-free, I went with the healthier version, of the Red Bull, and I've um, drank one of those before I did the show, and I, I'm hoping we'll see a dramatic impact on that because I just want to make sure, while we're talking about money, because money is very exciting and interesting to me, but it to most people, this is not American Idol or pop culture, so I've got to keep you guys intrigued and want to listen, and the last thing I need to do is sound like I'm about to pass out on you, so I'm going to try to counter that by um, putting together a little more excitement in all this. But getting back to today's podcast or financial chaos topic, because remember, the whole mission of money-guy.com is we're going to restore order to your financial chaos. And what we're doing today is we're going deeper into the world of investing. Now, part of that is, don't worry, this is not one of those bull and bear shows where I'm going to try to tell you company XYZ is going to be at $100 a share next week. This is your outlet to truly get straightforward, open, honest, and free advice on investing. There's not many places like that out there. I'm one of the only places that you're going to get in this truly honest, 
open, and let's face it, it's free. You get your money back guarantee because you're not paying a dime. There's no pump and dump strategies here where I'm looking to tell you how to time the market or follow any trends um, that are going to make you better off than just truly doing the tried and true investing that has made many people, including Warren Buffett, and other long-term investors financially independent. And that's what we're striving to do right here is we're going to go with the more long-term, conservative, tried-and-true way to invest. So I'll get into in a minute what that means, but I want to give you some podcast updates. <clears throat> we have consistently stayed in the top 25 iTunes business podcasts for the last three weeks. And for that, I want to give you a huge thank you. Without you guys, I could not do it. You have um, been a big part of that. When I first started doing this podcast, one of my, my big goals, you know how you set these missions and goals, and one of them was I wanted to have a 1,000 subscribers. Well, we passed, last time we did the show, we had in the 400 range of, of actual subscribers. Well, we zoomed past that. We went past the 500 mark, and as of Monday, we had like close to 640 subscribers. And I looked this morning, we're in the upper 600s. I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't break 700 in the next day or two. So a 1,000 subscribers is well within our reach. I think we're getting there faster than I ever would have thought. And for that, it's once again another big thank you for you guys. Um, and it, what you can do to help out, because y'all have been the big driving force of all this, what you can do if you want to continue to help us out, is please ask your friends, your family, as well as your peers just to tune in to the money-guy.com podcast and just get the word out because I am trying to do this um, as a service to all the other investors out there, and I hope we can continue to grow and um, learn from each other. I also want to give you an update that I was interviewed last week by Bank Technology News, which is a magazine, a publication, and they wanted to know my insight on where the world of podcasting was headed and um, as I told you on the last show, I have also been blessed to be nominated for some pretty prestigious awards. I, I'll find out in the coming months if I am going to indeed receive these awards. It will probably take two to three months for them to go through all the applicants uh, that were nominated and see who actually qualifies. But I just feel very blessed to have even been considered for this prestigious award. And if I don't make it this year, hopefully next year will be the year for me. But I'll, the other thing that I want to throw out to you, just because I tell you whenever I'm in any publication, right now we're going through the proofing stage of an upcoming article in medical economics that I'm helping out with as well. So I'll keep you posted on those things, but very positive things going on for um, my firm as well as this podcast. And I owe a big thank you to you guys for helping out tremendously on all that stuff. I also want to bring up that our producer, Heidi, I mentioned her quite a bit, um, had a birthday yesterday. I'm not going to tell you how old Heidi is because that would be impolite, but I did want to clear up something about Heidi because I've, I've had a chance to read some comments that have been posted on our website. In addition to publishing comments on iTunes, you can put comments out there if you really enjoy the show. You can also put them on the money-guy.com website, and a few of the comments have been concerned about a few months ago, about a month and a half ago, we updated our technology. We um, put new sound cards in. We added um, some filters. We bought new recording software. And part of that was also we bought acoustic tile to hang up on the wall to try to improve the sound. Well, if you notice when you listen to that podcast, we had, I had mentioned that I covered up one of Heidi's windows with the acoustic tile. And I've gotten some pretty alarming emails as well as comments put on the website. And I want to just set everybody's mind at ease. First of all, 
we're in the state of Georgia. The state of Georgia is blessed with open real estate, so it drives down rental prices. And with that, I'm in an office building, and Heidi's office is probably bigger than most CEOs' offices. Now, she's got her own office with her own desk, own computer, and everything else, but this office, and I'm looking around the room right now, is probably 16 to 17 feet long and about 14 to 15 feet wide. So this is not a small little cubicle or anything like that. The other thing about this building we're in is that the walls that are actually facing outward are completely solid sheets of glass except for the support structures. So when I say I covered up a wa one of her windows for the acoustic tile, I covered up about a two-and-a-half-foot section that was um, right next to a support beam. So she didn't really lose, and it's completely on the other side of her office away from her desk. And so she still has probably 12 to 14 feet of window. I'm talking about floor to, to ceiling window, which is probably about a, a 10-foot window she's looking at. So don't feel like that Heidi is working in some type of office where it's dark. I open up the door, cut the lights on, throw her a bone, then I quickly shut the door and cut the lights. It doesn't work anything like that. Hopefully, um, if I could give Heidi a mic, she would tell you she has a good time here. But we, we try to keep everything lighthearted and let you know that the work environment here is far from... Um, you know, unhospitable. So with that said, I'm going to leave it alone, but I wanted to let you guys know who had expressed some concern that I had cut out all daylight from Heidi and she was going to be as pale and white as I'm going to be on the beach in June. But uh, let's move on to the mailbag, which is the listener email. Now, if you want to send me an email after you listen to the show, let me give you some addresses. You can email me at my address, which is JBP, that's my initials, John Brian Preston, so JBP at Preston dash cleveland.com that will come directly to me i'll also see the comments that are posted on the website but i wanted to get to some of these emails because we have a, a group of emails that are from all over the world but you're going to see a common trend i think that um i've given the wrong impression to a few of you about that this podcast is only for the older people who are more established in their um, financial future and have already met their financial independence goals and this is not for the young guys out there. I, I, I really don't want that to be the case because I understand that you guys are early adapters. When it comes to this brand new technology of recording podcasts and, and listening to podcasts, you guys are on the front lines. Uh, so I recognize that many of you are just starting out and you've just started your careers, just graduated college and I want to appeal to you guys. And you're going to notice in all three of these emails that I received, they're very similar on asking for actual advice for younger people and also asking for the difference between short-term and long-term investment goals and some options out there. So with that, let's jump right in. The first email was from Kudzai, um, who actually lives in the Essex County in the United Kingdom outstanding that we actually have people worldwide. Remember, we have gotten emails from the Philippines. Um, it is amazing where we're actually drawing an audience from. So with that, I, I'm really thankful that we have him. But I, he, he writes me telling me that he finds the podcast to be very empowering. And I tell you that, thank you. But he's concerned that after reaching age 30 and fully reading and researching and understanding a lot of the financial publications out there and knowing how investments work, he feels like his 
financial position in life has not really improved. So I'm going to hopefully be able to provide some advice here in the next few minutes with this financial chaos topic on going deeper into the world of investing that can really help out in that matter and um, let him kick it into gear and get to work on it. The second email was from Julian from Montreal, Canada. So once again, another international listener. I do have a few Georgia listeners that have emailed me in the past, too, but it seems like all the recent ones have been from um, the far reaches, uh, as far from the state of Georgia as possible. So I hope you guys can put up with my southern accent, understand me, and um, continue to listen to the show. But what Julian says, I'm just going to read a portion of this. He says, I have to say that your podcast is the best financial info out there. It's honest and simple. I read lots of books like Rich Dad and Donald Trump and The Automatic Millionaire, but still I had not taken any step to investing into funds or bonds. And through listening to your podcast, I got into that state of mind where I have to start investing today before it is too late. Now, he's currently age 19, so starting before it's too late. So I'm glad that I've empowered him to go out there and start right now because, Julian, you start right now. You're going to be loaded, stinking loaded, if we can get you to keep doing this. So the next part of it is the question, I guess you'd say. It said, now I'm looking for somewhere to invest in the U.S. I'm highly considering the Fidelity Index, as you recommended. I would like to know if you have any advice for somebody my age who wants to to long-term invest but also short-term invest. So I'm going to jump on that in a minute and break out what all that means and um, tell you about that Fidelity Fund that he mentioned and then the last email I have is from Alan. Alan is actually out in Los Angeles, California. And Alan wrote, I'm a recent college graduate and plan to finish paying off credit cards and then max out my Roth with index funds. I am looking for other places to put additional savings. I am interested in both long-term savings, and listen to this, for retirement as well as for shorter term, three, five, or ten years in order to buy my first house and possibly start my own business. So far, I plan on purchasing some stocks and maybe getting involved in a REIT for further diversification. So did you notice a trend with all three of those emails uh, from the mailbag? They're all younger investors, really enjoy the show, but they're looking for additional guidance. And that's exactly what we're going to do today is I'm going to dig deeper into this whole investment process, give you some of the tips and tricks, and also shatter some of those urban legends about how investments work and help you out. So um, with that, let's go right into it. The first thing you know I've got to do this because I am governed under the SEC as well as the state of Georgia for securities advice. So I need to tell you some disclaimers. First of all, you know I do not know your age, your risk level, or any of your planning goals. So you need to definitely recognize the limitations of this podcast. Um, the products I mentioned today are for discussion purposes. And because you need to make sure you understand your investment needs and your risk profile to make the best investment decision for you and your family. So please remember that this is very generalized advice. You need to make sure whatever you do is appropriate for you and your family and um, know that this is just a generalized advice that I'm going to put out there to you today. So I need to make sure I, I you completely understand and we're crystal clear on that disclaimer. But with that, let's jump in and let's talk about some of the terminology that all three of these um, emails discuss. The first is short-term versus long-term planning and really the, the, your basic goal planning. When I say short-term, what I mean is anything less than five to seven years. If for any reason whatsoever you're going to need the money you've set aside within the next three to five years, 
or even seven years if you're looking at that far, but definitely three to five years, there is no way, no way you need to invest in conventional investment areas like bonds, stocks, or real estate. And let me tell you why that is. There is just too much chance that you're going to invest and catch a bad market cycle, put that money, say it's a down payment on a house, or you're saving money to go out and start a business, as that previous listener had said. What would happen if you hit that market cycle wrong and you lost 25% of your savings? You would be devastated, and now you would no longer be able to go out and do the goal or buy that house or start the business that you had originally planned to do. So because of that, you need to have a time horizon. You need to be able to invest. If you're going to put in those traditional products like stocks, bonds, real estate, and other investment classes, you need to be able to weather any market cycle that you might be facing. So that's why with short-term investments, you want to stick with cash and equivalents. And i got to tell you, that's not such a bad thing in today's marketplace because interest rates have been rising if you've been watching the news. The Fed raised interest rates just last week, and now you can see money markets are yielding um, between good ones are ranging between four and a quarter to four and three quarters. I saw one that I like is a, a bank called ImmigrantDirect.com, and you can go to that. Let me give you that website. It's E-M-I-G-R-A-N-T Direct.com. It's Immigrant Direct, and they have a um, money market that's paying four and a half percent annually, and there are no fees and no minimums. And it, it, what it does is it attaches electronically to your checking account. You can transfer money back and forth through the Internet. I have actual clients that are in this, and um, it is a positive positive um, thing that you can use, and you go out, earn a decent amount of money, and you're not taking that risk. And I should also tell you that this is FDIC insured. Now, I get nothing from this bank um, so I don't want you to think that this is a paid endorsement. I'm just trying to get the news out there. I also saw, if you go to Yahoo today, um, one of their advertisements is something from the, the Citigroup organization where there's a four and three quarter um, savings account. I didn't have time to go read all the disclaimers because I just saw it as a pop-up window. Um, so make sure there's no fees, no minimums. Uh, before you go commit yourselves to something like that. What I do like about the Immigrant Direct is that it's very easy to get in and out, and it does allow you to use your existing checking account. Now, moving on to what long-term is, that's more, and that's what we're going to focus on with the primary, with most of this discussion, that's the meat of our discussion today, is when you can invest and go through a complete market cycle and you have a holding period or time to put the money away and sit on it for at least seven years and greater. And that's what we're primarily going to discuss today because we can get into really doing some investing if you can promise you can put that money away for the seven-year time frame. So let's go ahead and burst some of these um, urban legends and, and give you some of these tips and tricks on how to invest like a pro. Some of the emails and comments I've had have asked me to give you additional insight on index funds versus managed funds. So I'm going to go ahead and just let you know how this all works. And you're probably not going to hear this from too many places because it's not popular among financial advisors to really let you see behind the curtain and know how these investments work and really what the, the truth of the matter is. Well, let's talk about this in common sense terms. First of all, I'm a huge fan of buying index funds for large cap investments. Now, when I say large cap, what does that mean? Large cap is companies that are household names. That's your General Electric, your Home Depots, your Walmarts. These are ExxonMobil. These are all the big companies that we've all heard of in every household. 
there are truly only about a thousand of these mega companies in the United States, and they all sit in this large cap area. If you think about this, once again, common sense, there are a ton, a gazillion people just like me. Let's talk about my specific situation. In my building, on this floor that my office my office is in, there's actually another financial advisor in the office suite right next to mine. And in the office suite right next to hers is a insurance guy who handles benefits. So just in this building, we've got three people that can probably put you in some type of investment product. Let's do a radius of another mile. Right down the street in one of the shopping centers, there's an Edward Jones shopping, I mean, um, an investment place. And then right down the street, there's probably five other places just in different shopping centers. So just in the radius of one mile of my office building, I bet there's 15 advisors. So when you look at that and realize that there are a gazillion people like me that are talking heads that supposedly know more than everybody else, and you only have a 1,000 stocks that they can cover on the large cap side, and we have the Internet where you know you, something comes out and it's immediately out there to the people. You've also got cable channels now that devote the entire day. Talking, I'm talking about stuff like MSNBC, CNBC, um, Bloomberg. These channels devote themselves to disclosing the latest business and stock and, and investment information. So you mean to tell me that there are a gazillion advisors like me, but only a thousand stocks? How am I any smarter than anybody else in this area? I don't think you can do it. You know why? Because the market is too efficient. The information flows too easily to everybody. So if GM announces that they've got a problem with their, you know, with their labor force, 20 minutes later, that is already reflected in the stock. If it's not already in the stock price, even before they disclose that information, the street is that efficient in the getting this out to the investors. So if you know that you're not going to have an edge on everybody else, why would you buy a managed fund? Because let's face it, they have an internal operating expense. And what an internal operating expense is every mutual fund charges um, for the manage, paying the managers, the transaction fees, the marketing costs of running the firm, as well as paying the rent and the electricity bills and everything else. So everything, I don't care if it's Vanguard, Fidelity, whatever it is, everything has operating expenses. And the average in the United States right now on operating expenses for domestic stock mutual funds is 1.5%. You know what you can do if you buy some of these index funds that I'm going to mention to you in a little bit? A lot of them have internal operating expenses of 0.10%. That's 15 times cheaper than these managed funds. So you can take that 1.4% and essentially put it in your back pocket. And that's why, if you look at the historical norms and the, and the, the data that's out there, two-thirds of the time, if you look at the long-term, meaning 10-year history, the index funds on the large cap side outperform the managed funds, two-thirds of the managed funds out there. So if you, so maybe you've got that hot shot manager that's going to end up in that upper third, but I'm, if you're a gambling person or if you're a person that doesn't like to gamble, I should say, you're probably going to just take the index fund and save that 1.4% and put it in your back pocket. So that's the big thing about using index funds for the large cap side. Now when we talk about small cap, meaning companies that you wouldn't even know about unless they were in your hometown, or your, it was in your office building or in the building right next to yours, you wouldn't even know they existed. There are a gazillion small companies like that in the United States. Now, the thing about the stock market, remember what drives stock market prices. What drives stock market prices is when earnings 
go up for companies. Um, analysts take note, and there and you know, and investors take note, and there's more demand for the stock shares because of the increased earnings as well as other things. So when there's this a complete this increased um, demand for the stock, there's only a certain supply, a number of shares out there available um, for investors to buy. So when there's this increased demand and there's only this limited supply, what is that gonna do? It's gonna drive up the price of the stock. Well, the same thing with small cap investments. If there are a gazillion small companies, I don't care if you've got a company, XYZ, that does COGS and make it, it makes a million dollars off of every COG. If you don't have an analyst or somebody who's out there taking notice of how profitable your company is and getting it out to the public, I don't think this, the demand for your stock is going to necessarily go up because it's an inefficient marketplace. Meaning that if you find out about that a company before everybody else does, you can buy in, wait for everybody else to realize that this is a great company, and then you're going to profit from that. And that's called taking advantage of the inefficient marketplace because the data just does not travel as easily as it does with the large companies. So I always buy managed funds on the small cap as well as international. When I want to say international, you think about it, there's a ton of countries out there. They all have companies, public companies within their countries, assuming they, they're you know, developed enough to have marketplaces like that. So it's the same thing as the small company marketplace. Very inefficient, not a lot of data going out there unless you can get an analyst or somebody who's going to really push up and let everybody know what's going on with your stock. And that's why you can see historically that managed funds do outperform a lot of times the international wells of small cap indices. So I hope that helps out on understanding the difference between the index versus managed funds. And I'm going to give you some um, some opportunities of who you might want to consider looking at a little later. I've got three fund choices that um, are specifically really good for young investors. The next thing I want to talk about on going deeper into investing was exchange-traded funds, or ETFs. You've probably heard a lot about them. Um, let's go over what an ETF is. An ETF is a fund that tracks an index but can be traded like a stock. And because an ETF can be traded like a stock on a stock exchange, they're bought and sold at any time during the day. That's not that's not like a mutual fund. Open-ended mutual fund, well, actually, you put the trade in. It doesn't matter if you put the order in at 9 in the morning or um, noon that day. You're going to get the same price because it sets at the end of the day. Well, that's not the same with ETFs because their price fluctuates from moment to moment just like any other stocks does. And their price that you pay um, will depend upon what's going on in the marketplace. The downside with ETFs is that you do have to pay a ticket charge or a transaction fee to buy into them through your broker or um, your registered rep, whoever you're dealing with. Um, but the good side of them is, is they're typically more tax efficient than normal mutual funds, and they um, have very low operating expenses and transaction costs associated with them. You probably ask yourself, well, how did ETFs even start? They started in 1993. There was the first ETF created was called the Standard and Poor's Deposit Receipt. Now, a lot of you have probably heard it and never knew what it meant, but it's the Spider Fund, and that's what the, you just take. That's the acronym of what I just read out to you, and it follows and mirrors the S&P 500. You know, the largest company stocks in the United States, and it's been a tremendous success. Now, let me tell you where I think ETFs are outstanding to use in investing. They're great for large single investments of large cap or sector holdings. And what I mean by that is if you've got, say, $25,000, dollars 
and you're looking to buy into um, an index or a certain sector like healthcare or gold funds, um, there's all kind of things you can do with ETFs. These are the type of investments you want to use because you pay a minimal ticket charge. Um, you know, say 19.99 is your ticket charge, and you get this large sum of holdings, and um, and they're very tax efficient and have very low internal expenses. So uh, that that's what they're a great opportunity to buy. They're also great for buying at the end of the year. A lot of people don't realize that at the end of the year. A lot of mutual funds have built up capital gains and dividend distributions that they have not passed on to their investors. So you, it's not uncommon during especially a good marketplace like we've had the last few years that you could get distributions at the end of the year that could be 10 to 15% of the net asset value. I mean, these are huge distributions. I mean, they can, they can cause a lot of taxable income and generate a lot of tax for you personally if you buy them at the right of the end of the year. And that doesn't make sense because you think about it, you haven't been there to receive all that capital appreciation and the growth um, from those investments, but now you've got to pay the tax on the income they earned back in January just because you bought in in October. That doesn't make sense. So the way you work around that is you buy ETF funds in that market, you know, in that same sector or allocation class at the end of the year because they're much more tax efficient. So there's a great opportunity there. Where they're not good for is for dollar cost averaging. Now, what do I mean when I say dollar cost averaging? Dollar cost averaging is when you set yourself up a systematic savings plan. Say you want to start investing every month because you're going to pay yourself first. We've all heard of that concept. We need to make sure that we've got in our budgets that we're going to pay ourselves first and invest and it doesn't matter how much it is, 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, $500 a month. You don't want to use an ETF fund because you think about if you've got to pay a $19.99 um, ticket charge or transaction fee every time you buy the fund and you're only investing $100 a month into this ETF, you're paying uh, a 20%, you know, essentially ticket charge to get into it. So that's a bad, bad idea to do, to use them for that. They're much better for the, the large single purchases than doing the dollar cost averaging. Go into some of these low cost um, or no load um, index funds I'm going to talk to you about later uh, to, to consider doing the dollar cost averaging. The next thing I want to talk to you about, so that's exchange trade funds. Hopefully you're not going to be so scared about, of them next time you hear somebody talk about ETFs after giving you that rundown of how they work. Um, the next thing I want to talk to you about is harvesting losses. Now, this has been a strategy that's been a little harder to do because we've been coming through a marketplace that's been really good. If you think about it, we've had a huge recovery really since November of 2002, and um, there hasn't been much harvesting losses. I know I haven't been able to do it for clients, but what this is, just in case we get into a bad market cycle in the near term, is if you've just bought something or you have a holding, that has lost value during the year or has not made, you know, and you've got some built-in losses, you can at the end of the year or even throughout the year, if you see that after the redemption period, because remember a lot of mutual funds now, because of some of the trading scandals of back in early 2004, they have put what's called redemption fees on their shares now where you have to hold them for at least 45 to 90 days. Otherwise, they're going to ding you with some additional fees. But if you've held them long enough that you don't have those redemption fees and you've got some losses and there's an equivalent fund out there, like say you own the Spartan Index 500, meaning the fund that copies the S&P 500, and you've got a loss because the market was down, you could actually sell that fund and then go say you bought $10,000 worth of it. Now it's worth $8,500. You could sell that fund 
take your $8,500 and then go buy the Vanguard Index 500, have the exact same portfolio, but now you've got a $1,500 loss that you're going to be able to offset gains and other income, which is just a tremendous thing to do. Why take those losses and wait for it to recover when you can just transfer it over to the exact same investment but with a different name and then take those losses against your income? That's a great tactic you can do is harvesting those losses if you get into a bad marketplace. Now, the last thing I'm going to tell you is kind of a controversial thing. I got to tell you, last year, at the end of the year, some mutual fund companies said if they found advisors that were doing what I'm about to tell you, that there was a chance that they might essentially not allow them to buy their funds anymore because they disliked this strategy so much. There's nothing illegal about it. I don't want you to get scared and go, oh, my goodness, Brian is telling me something that's, that's ethically wrong. It's nothing like that. It's just mutual fund companies do not like it when advisors do this strategy. And I don't think many individual investors really know to do this so i want to get it out there to you the public because remember the best investor is an educated investor so you need to know all the strategies that are out there and you, you know you're probably going why is brian giving me his complete playbook on how he handles clients money and i'm not so worried about um if you know how i do things because i think if you find somebody who's good with money you're going to still feel confident in hiring somebody because you know if they're good with just the they're good on the investment side and good with math, good with buying cars, this guy's probably good with everything money. So I'm not too worried about losing clients by giving you all my secrets. But the thing I'm talking about that is so controversial is at the end of the year, as I already mentioned to you, a lot of mutual funds, especially during a good market cycle, have built-in capital gains, or even at the beginning of a bad market cycle, they might have huge capital gain and dividend distributions that they have not sent out to their investors. And if you have a fund that you just bought into or bought, in, and you bought into and the market went bad on you, now you've got losses or they're sitting flat, and you know that they're about to issue a capital gain or dividend distribution that's going to be 5 to 10% of what you paid for it and generate a lot of taxes for you, what you can do is you can sell it before the ex-dividend date Transfer those proceeds from that sell over to an you know a like kind type of investment. The example I've already used is the you could transfer from the Fidelity Index 500 over to the Vanguard Index 500. Really haven't changed the way your investments are on paper um, and what you hold, but you have created a tax change. Well, the same thing on this. You, you're not just doing it for taxes. You're actually doing this so you can avoid that distribution. Or you could a better example. This is what we've actually done: is you sell that Spartan Fidelity Index Fund, and then you go buy an exchange-traded fund. Because remember, ETFs don't have those built-up capital gains like the mutual funds do. And mutual fund companies hate this because what you've done is now you've dumped a lot of cash on them, plus um, you know, they, they're just left with these gains that they have to distribute out to, to other investors. They do not like this strategy, but I always say this is one of those things where if they don't like it, you can always avoid this by having good returns in your mutual fund because I'll tell you that I haven't been able to use this strategy in the last three years because if you buy a good mutual fund and it appreciates in value, you're never going to use this strategy because the last thing you want to do is create huge capital gains by selling this fund because you have all these, these, these the, you know, the capital appreciation being the price you paid 5000 for it. Maybe it's worth twelve now. You're not going to sell this just to avoid 5% capital gain distributions because it doesn't make sense to generate $7,000 of taxable capital gains just to avoid those distributions. But 
If you don't have these gains, you are going to try this strategy because it makes complete sense to avoid those huge distributions at the end of the year. Um, just be careful with this. I want you to understand this strategy. I think it's um, this is a secret. Not many people, individual investors-wise, are using this, but it is a great tool that a lot of us pros have been doing for years. You get into a bad market cycle, this is the thing that's going to be worth its weight in gold to avoid those taxes while harvesting those losses. That's the double whammy that sometimes can happen to be a little silver lining in a bad marketplace as you can harvest those losses and avoid um, the capital gains. Um, Something I need to give you, though, to give you the, the details of how this would work with avoiding the year-end distributions is I need to give you some, some basic descriptions of the dates to pay attention to if you're going to use this strategy. Um, the important dates of a dividend or capital gain distribution, let's go over this, is the declaration date. Now, the declaration date is the date that the company comes out and says, hey, we're issuing out um, dividends for company XYZ um, in this amount. Now, mutual fund companies will actually do an estimation You'll see it all the time at the end of the year. They'll give you an estimate of how much they think their dividends are going to be or capital gains. The most important date, though, that you want to pay attention to is what's called the X date or the X dividend date. And what this date is is the, the, the date that the security trades without the dividend after this point or on this point. If you buy a dividend-paying stock or a mutual fund one day before the X dividend date, you'll still get that dividend. But if you buy on the ex-dividend date or after, you won't get that dividend date. You, you see how that works? Um, so the, the, the tried and true method on this is if you want to avoid those distributions, you make sure you sell it before the ex-dividend date. Or if you want to make sure you at least get those dividends, if it's, if it's on the other side of the coin, then you want to make sure you own it through that date. And what the ex-dividend date is, is it's the second business day before the date of record. And the date of record is just the date in which the company looks at its records to see who the shareholders are at that time. And um, an investor must be listed as a holder of record to ensure that the right dividend payout is, uh, is received. And then the last date that you, you know that you need to make sure you understand is the date of payment, which is just the payable date. That's the date that they issue um, the actual capital gains or the dividend distributions. So hopefully those um, those details actually help you out. Now, from that, I, I've been hinting at it and teasing you a little bit, and I told you I was going to give you some actual specific investment recommendations, especially for my young investors out there, and I want to follow through on that. Remember, though, the disclaimer on this is that I don't know your situation. I don't know your age, your risk profile, or any of your goals, so this is just very generalized advice and it is completely free. There's no compensation for this, so take it for what it's worth. The first one I was going to mention to you is, um, and hopefully many of you are familiar with the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund. That symbol, that ticker symbol, if you want to go look this up, is VTSMX. And I'm going to give that to you one more time. VTSMX. And I'm going to read you what Morningstar, which that's the, the research company that I'm subscribed to, and many of you all probably have seen, um, you know, they've got the star rating system. What they said about the, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index is that this fund provides exposure to virtually the entire U.S. stock market at an extremely reasonable price, plus it's run by one of the most experienced indexing teams around. And to boot, it's got internal operating expenses at only 0.18%. And remember, compare that to the average of 1.5%. Not a bad deal here at all. So that's a good fund for you to look at. Once again, it's Vanguard Total Stock Market Index. It's VTSMX. 
probably a good alternative to this fund if you're more of a Fidelity investor than a Vanguard investor, and these guys have kind of been at war with each other, is the Fidelity Spartan Total Market Index. And when I talk about war, what I'm talking about is that last year, heck, it might be going on a year and a half now, but Fidelity fired a shot at Vanguard because Vanguard has always dominated the low-cost index funds. Well, um, and I'm doing this off of memory, but Vanguard is always, most of their indexes like the um, S&P 500 index as well as the total market were at 0.18%. And then Fidelity was always, their Spartan funds were somewhere around 0.24%. So they were a little bit higher than, than the Vanguard funds. Well, last year, Fidelity lowered their internal expenses on quite a few of their index funds down to 0.10%. That's just unbelievable. Now, a lot of analysts and, uh, and pundits came out right after they did that, and they said, wait a minute, stay back. This is a marketing ploy. They're doing this to get your business. They're going to get all these people to bring their assets over to these low-cost index funds, and then Fidelity is going to increase um, the, the price structure because this is temporary. Well, Fidelity heard those criticisms, and what they did, another shot at Vanguard, they actually changed it into the bylaws. And their prospectuses, where the only way that they can ever change their prices or raise them back up is through a proxy vote of their existing shareholders of the fund. So what do you think the likelihood that a group of investors are actually going to vote from rich old fidelity to raise the fees on their investment? I think it's slim to none, so that's what has made this just such an incredible opportunity. So that fund, the Fidelity Spartan Total Market Index, the symbol on that one is FSTMX. And remember, its internal operating expenses are even lower than that 0.18% that I talked about at Vanguard. They're at 0.10. It says expense competition. This is Morningstar. It says expense competition among passively managed funds is always a welcome sign. And then it says Vanguard total stock market index levies a modest 0.18% and then 0.10% on investors in an admiral share classes. That admiral shares at Vanguard is for investors who have over $100,000. So they do have a 0.10 if you have $100,000. But it says for new investors, um, this is a core sound holding. The objective of this fund is to mimic the all-cap Dow Jones Wilshire 5000 total market index, which provides broad market exposure at a rock-bottom price. The fund doesn't hold every name in the index like its sibling, the Spartan 500, but rather sample to keep trading costs down. The fund sub-advisor has done a solid job of tracking the index in a relatively tax-efficient manner. The fund is a compelling choice. So that's some pretty exciting information to know that you could go out and buy this fund and really cover a lot of the general stock market. Um, that symbol, once again, for the Fidelity Spartan Total Market Index is FSTMX. Now, the last fund that I'm going to mention to you guys is more of a true asset allocation type fund, especially for young people. This fund is called the Fidelity 4-in-1 Index. And the 4-in-1 Index's symbol is FFNOX. And this is the one that that email from a listener had um, sent me earlier. But once again, that symbol is FFNOX. And what I like about this fund is that it's got diversification built into it because what it does is it takes advantage of Fidelity's low costs and internal expenses and those drop-in fees as they wage war on Vanguard. And, it, and the way it's supposed to do is it's got 55% in the S&P 500 index, the Spartan 500 index. It's got 
15% in the extended market index, which is buying mid-cap and small-cap stocks. And then it's got 15% in the Spartan International Index, taking advantage of the changes in our global economy and getting some of those international investments, specifically the European with EFIs. And then last, it has 15% in the U.S. Bond Index. That way it gives you a little more diversity, diversification, I should say, as well as um, giving you a little baseline to hopefully take some of the volatility out. So what Morningstar has to say about this fund is it says the Form 1 Index fund consists of the Fidelity Spartan 500 Index, the Fidelity Extended Market Index, the Fidelity Spartan International Index, and the Fidelity U.S. Bond Index. These funds allow the 401 Index Fund to achieve its allocation of 55% in the S&P 500, and the remaining 45% split evenly among the Wilshire 4500 for domestic small cap and mid cap exposure, the EFI Index for international stock exposure, and the Lehman Brothers Aggregate Index for domestic bond exposure. The managers reallocate the fund back to its neutral 55-15-15-15 as market movements require. And then it says, additionally, this fund's 85% stock, 15% bond allocation may be more appropriate for younger investors than those nearing or in retirement. Finally, although this fund does the basics, more exotic asset classes, such as real estate, commodities, and foreign bonds, are absent from the mix here. Despite these caveats, we think long-term investors have a compelling one-fund resolution to the allocation problem here. And, and it is true that this does not have real estate or commodities or in other funds, hedge funds. You know, I use absolute return strategies for a lot of my clients. But when you're first starting out, and I'm talking about when you're trying to build your assets up to that fifty to $100,000 level, this is a good core holding. I think you need to start worrying about those type of asset allocations once you build up that good core holding of 50000 to to $100,000 before you start worrying about getting into really complex asset allocations. So these are good core holdings to get your foot in the door and get things going. So and I hope that helps you out. I'm going to give you that symbol for the Fidelity Form 1 Index one more time. It's FFNOX. You can go check out those three um, funds that I've thrown out for you. And I hope you have seen or heard something in this podcast that is truly going to help you in your in the world of investing. I do want to throw out, if this is your first time and you don't feel like you have a good baseline understanding of what investing is, I did do a podcast on February the 13th that you really ought to go back and listen to where I basically give you the definitions of what a stock is, what a bond is, how mutual funds work. It's a real good core base to understand how investments work. And then you can come back and listen to this again after you have that baseline understanding and you should be good to go. Now, let me give you some contact information. Once again, you can email me if you want to. I'm Brian Preston. You can email me at JBP. That's my initials, John Brian Preston, JBP at Preston-Cleveland.com. You can go check out our website because we do publish our notes for the podcast out there on our website at 